have a ring. Belichick's got them all. He was my special teams coach on the Giants, and I had some incredible encounters with Bill, sharing the love of Jesus with him and working with uh, one of his nephews that was uh, uh, addicted. And, and so it was pretty incredible. That year on the Giants, we started the season. We had three uh, players in chapel before the game, and we'd have chapel services and, and talk about Jesus. And at the end of the year, George Martin and Bill Currier and I, we led together. Um, we had 42 out of 45 players who gave their life to Christ on our football team. And of course, we went to the playoffs, and we didn't get a Super Bowl ring. I just wish, I just still ask God why he didn't do that for us. <laughs> but no, I've known Bill for a long time. I knew his daddy. I still pray for him. And um, so anyway, you should pray for him too, because some of you either hate him or you love him. But you know what? It's just a game. I want to pray as we get started today and uh, share with you some things that the Lord's kind of put in me. And it's why I, you know, stepped away from our church after 36 years and literally been going all over the world to share this, this revelation about what happens when God truly becomes your father. What happens when you can have the same kind of relationship with him that his son Jesus did. And what would that do in your family, in your own life, if you had the father you've always wanted? Would you be married differently and not look at your spouse to be the answer? Your friends would be the answer. Would you be able to maybe leave some of the bitterness that we end up carrying in our life? Well, I think so. And so you understand later. And... Um, So why don't we pray? Father, I just thank you for this planning of the Lord in this place and all these incredible people here. And each one of these people is the hope for their neighborhood. Christ in you, you are the hope of your family. You're the hope of your neighborhood. This church is the hope of the city and the suburbs. It's the answer to the story of God everywhere you work every person you meet. And we just thank you, Lord. And all those people said, Amen. Well, I thought I'd tell you one NFL story. It was my very first play in the National Football League. And some of you, because you're a little older here, normal age, right? (laughs) It was against the Pittsburgh Steelers. And the starting center, Joe Fields, was hurt, and so it's my job to go in and play center as a rookie against and face the, the four of the, the biggest, most athletic defensive linemen at the time, and we used to call them the Chocolate Forest, because it was four of the most amazing black players in the National Football League. And right in the center of this group was this guy named Mean Joe Green. And he was notorious because he, he wasn't a mean guy. He was just an incredible athlete and and he was just six foot eight you imagine ran a 4.6 40 yard dash and just was 275 pounds and quick like a cat and so i'm going to face this i mean i you remember the 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 coke commercial with mean joe green and 
I mean, just he just has his reputation, and he's 10 years in the league, all pro. He's going to be in the Hall of Fame, right, when he leaves football. And and so i got to make my mark against this guy because he is yeah, – he is – and if I have a good game, then man, I'm gonna I'm gonna not only make the team with the Jets at the time, I was playing for the Jets, but I'm gonna start my career. And and I line up and snap that ball, and I got a really quick step on him. I got underneath his shoulder pads, I pushed him back, he tripped, and I pancaked him and landed right on top of him. I mean, I took him down, baby. That's what I'm talking about. And I'm laying on top of him, and he looks at me. And he says, hey, rookie, this is preseason. <laughs> I also noticed that his shoulder pads were not buckled on the inside. He was just going through the moves. And so I'm thinking, I'm going to look really good this first quarter. And so we're having some good series. And finally, it's about the end of the first quarter. He just starts, to, we used to, we used to go, you're going to get brothered by this guy. He just, man, Eddie Mack, you're just kicking my butt, man. You're just so good. And he puts his hand down, and I'm thinking, I'm going to hit him right now. His mama's going to fall down in the stands, you know, I, I'm going to have my moment. And I, I took the step and, and hit air. He jumped around me, got into the backfield, grabbed Richard Todd by the back of his pants and the shoulder pads, picked him up over his head and went, just like that. You used to be able to do that, the quarterbacks. They're wimps. Now they can't even be hit. But anyway, and I get off the ground, dust myself off, head back to the huddle, and Joe's just kind of smiling. And he said, hey, rookie. I said, what, Joe? He goes, I just want you to know who I was. Well, I tell you that story because that's exactly what I felt like right after my son was born. I mean, I, um, I've always been really good at making babies. Any other men here say amen to that? <laughs> but I didn't know how to be a father. remember holding him in the, uh, in the nursery, in the, in the delivery room. What time am I going to so I know? Oh, that clock's really slow. But anyway, <laughs> and so I remember that moment, and I had that Simba moment, you know, Lion King, and held him up and got a football, gave him a Nerf football right there. But, you know, I was terrified. And it had nothing to do about how much I loved my son. It had everything to do was that I had really not been father in my life. And I struggled, and I'll tell you a little bit about that. Because there's, there's this thing inside of all of us that Thomas uh, Wolfe says this, that the deepest search in life has seemed to me the thing that in one way or the other was central to all living was man's search to find a father. Not merely a father of his flesh, not merely the lost father of his youth, but an image of strength and wisdom external to his need, superior to his hunger, to which the belief and power of his own life could be united. Isn't that true? You know why that's so true? Because if you think about it right now, the way your father spoke to you, the words he used over your life, 
they still ring true in you to the day you go to heaven. It's like God put inside of us, man, as fathers, this prophetic voice over our children. We can look at them as little ones and speak and say, there's nothing impossible for you. And you'll see their little chests go out and they'll live that in their life. Or we cannot be there or be distracted or working or not knowing how to be a father and not say anything. I mean, I meet men all over the world. I mean, I've been in front of a couple hundred thousand people in our events, and, and I meet men in every continent that still have the question mark on their life on who they were that was never answered by their dad. Girls are the same way. The girls, their first understanding of their beauty is, is really formed by how a father looks at them and treats them and hugs them and shows affection to them. And how many times is a girl without that in your own story, you're looking to your man to be that guy who heals that wound. And your husband can never be your father. Or you look to culture, and I have a, a group of girls in uh, Southern California, it's a ministry called Fristers, and uh, it's a, girl, a bunch of girls who got pregnant in junior high school and early high school. No father, no family support. And I ask them the same two questions every time I, I get with them. I, I say, um, how many of you girls here in this room um, used to believe you could love a bad boy to become a good boy? Raise your hand. Every hand goes up. How many of you know that's the biggest lie of your life? Every hand goes up. I said, do you know why you keep choosing bad boys to make them good boy? Could it be that you just don't know who you are? Could it be that you don't know the value of who you are as a woman because the first man in your story, your father, never framed for you that you were amazing? And so you've settled? You've struggled in identity? I mean, guys, right now we have a culture crisis in the world. It's not a political one. It's a culture crisis. People don't know who they are. People are using their, even their political party to become, a, um, become an identity in their life. As soon as you declare your, your party affiliation, then you got half of the world you hate. I was on an airplane recently and sat down with this guy, and I said, well, what's your mission in life? What's, what's God made you for? He said, well, I'm a fundraiser. I said, Really? For the Democratic Party, I helped raise a billion dollars to get Obama elected. I said, really? That's what you're for. And he goes, are you a Democrat? I went, oh, no. He goes, oh, you're one of them. I said, well, are you a Republican? He said, no, I'm a Republican. Oh, so you're an independent looking for my vote. I said, no. He says, well, well, what are you? I said, well, I'm Ed. Who are you? You know, it's like, <laughs> you know. He said, well, well, how do you vote? He says, well, see, I follow a king, and his kingdom is not of his world, and his name is Jesus. Well, then who do you vote for? I vote for the person that does the thing closest to Jesus. The problem is the politicians are just like way over here somewhere. And he said, so what do you do? And I said, well, I, God sends me all over the world, and I meet men just like you who've spent their whole life to find out who they are, 
and they lose their children. He starts weeping. He says, my daughter's been in rehab for the third time. I don't know what to do. Can you help me? And I spent three hours sharing the gospel with this man. And at the end of our plane flight, we get up. He's crying. I give him my book. And he just is just weeping. And he goes, I've never met anybody like you. And I said, well, maybe you're hanging around the wrong group. <laughs> I said, there's millions of us all over the world. And we're in church on Sundays and Saturdays and Friday nights. And we love this guy named Jesus. And so, beloved, your identity is not your political party. Your identity is not your job. Your identity is not the story that happened to you. God wants to give you a new name. He wants to change the way you see yourself. Because if you keep kind of doing life the way you are, you'll always have what you've always gotten. And so my story started on May the 29th, 1956. And, and uh, some of you might know this story, but my dad was a test pilot in the Navy. And one of the things he would do every night before he'd go to bed was read his Bible. And, and one night, laying next to my mom, he circled something in his Bible, has a strange look on his face, and the next day heads out uh, for the flight deck. He takes off these very dog tags that I wear, puts them on the bedside table, and kisses my mother goodbye. And at 1.15 in the afternoon, he hits the intercom, that this plane is in a crash dive and it's Memorial Day weekend. And he realizes that if he bails out, his plane might uh, hit the water in a way to hurt people on the beach. So he took it and, and dove purposely farther out to sea. And he gave his life that day. His last words on earth were, this is November Papa, 88, taken to death. And I lost my dad. My mom didn't want me not to have a father, so she went back to the Naval Academy to find another man. And she wanted to find a safe one. She met a Cajun. He's not safe. He burns his food and calls that flavor. I'm not sure what that's all about. <laughs> flavor, son. Etouffee without burnt flakes is not etouffee. So, you know, he struggled, and his whole thing was about football. And so I learned really quickly that if I was going to make it in this family right, with him, that I had to be a great athlete. And so that became my name, football player. And I gave everything for that moment. And I struggled as, as, a, as a boy because you, you never win enough to find out who you are. And in, in college, on a single play, a ball got, uh, fell between my knees and a young freshman dove through my knee to get the ball. And my knee just collapsed to the inside and I could hear my ligaments pop. And if you've ever been hurt, you can hear it in your body. It's so weird. Off to the doctor, and, the, and they said, the next morning, you're going to have reconstructive surgery. And I'm in this room, and I'm just beyond devastated. I'm not a church kid. I prided myself that, you know, on Sunday, the best time was to watch TV with my dad, because that's what my stepdad did. And a knock came on my door late at night on, on this night, and in room 603 in Kilcally Dormitory in Youngstown State University. And a man walks into my room, and he said, Ed, you have everything going for you, but you lack one thing. So what's that? I said, Jesus Christ. And I looked at him, and I said, what's he going to do about this? Pointing at my ice bag. And without saying anything, he just reads John 3.16. You all know that verse, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and his only son. Say it out loud. 
that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. And I gotta tell you in that moment, for me, I never heard the word of God before. That's the first time I ever heard the word of God for me. So you don't become a follower of Jesus because you go to church. You become a follower of Jesus because you hear his voice. And he comes in your story. And I heard this in the Bible, you know, it says in Hebrews that faith comes by hearing and what? Hearing the word of God. That's why being in church every Sunday and hearing the word of God preached to you out loud has such impact on your life. And when you're alone, you read your Bible, read it out loud, and let it ricochet around your room, and it comes back and hits you, and it, and it builds your faith. And, and I said, what do I do now? And he said, would you like to receive Jesus? I said, well, how did that work? He said, when Jesus died on the cross, he died as though he were you. See, Jesus came to bring mercy. He didn't come to bring judgment. He came to bring mercy. And he said, when you receive his mercy then you, you then can learn how to live as though you were Jesus. You can live the life of what it's like to be a son. And I said, what do I do? I prayed this prayer like so many of you have, and I had this incredible encounter with Jesus. I mean, he did something so deeply inside of me as a man. This, it felt like this liquid waterfall of mercy just fell on me that day because I received it for Ed, not for my family's sake or my wife's sake or my you know the tradition of my family i received this living christ for ed mclaughlin and and i all i can tell you is that forgiveness hit me in this in this uh, young campus minister said can i pray for your knee and he and he puts his hand on my ice bag and says now heal ed's knee in jesus name i gotta tell you so he was presbyterian and i was the first person he ever prayed for and I'm also the last person he ever prayed for. I even brought him to my church and asked him why he didn't pray for more people. He said, well, I just figured you would do it. Perfect answer, you know. And I didn't feel anything because my knee was frozen. And when they rolled me into surgery the next day, they did another test, another orthogram. And the doctor comes out shaking his head. He goes, I don't understand this, Ted. But your three ligaments that were torn have been reattached. And I jumped off that gurney in that dress. You know the dress that done tying the back. And naked I came into the world, and naked I got born again. But anyway. So the first thing the Father sent his son is so that you can know his love. And his love happens in a moment that you receive his mercy for you. The second thing I wanted to say to you is that the Father sent his son so that we could be fathered by him. You know, Paul puts these two verses together in 2 Corinthians, in 2 Corinthians 6, 18. And it says this, And I will be a father to you, and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord God Almighty. You know, I meet people all the time that are still stuck because their dads were so broken. They're still stuck because their dad never said, I love this about you. They're still waiting. They're still hoping for... This moment where maybe your dad will turn around or, or maybe God will heal this thing that they carry around. But what would happen if you could actually have God the Father in your life just like Jesus had him in his life? What would change? How would you relate to your husband differently or your wife differently or your friends differently? 
See, God's made us to not only receive his mercy and be saved and born again and filled with his spirit, he's also saved us so that we could be adopted in him. And he could be the father of our story in a way that we don't need our dad to get it perfect. We let him off the hook. And we spend our whole life receiving like Christ did. And I mean, I had that one of those fathering Bad fathering moments. I don't know about you. Did you anyone ever promise to to never be brutal to your children, maybe the way your dad was to you? Anybody ever promise that? Raise your hand. I'm not going to say the same things. Come on. I know we're in the Northeast. Raise your hands. Come on. <laughs> it's okay. You won't go to hell if you raise your hands in church and show emotion. There we go. We got some honesty, right? Well, how many of you broke that promise? That same thing. I did that one day, and I crushed my son Edward, and he was just devastated, crying in the other room, because he dared to say no to me. I'm the senior pastor of a church, and my son, you know, would say no to me. And I said the most horrible things, and I, and I went into, you know, my study and said, Lord, why did I do that? And the father was just there so generously and said, well, that's because that's the way you talk to yourself. You've learned how to hear my voice, the voice of your broken stepfather when he was drunk and angry. But that's not who I am. And then he said this, if you'll learn how to hear my voice, I'll make you the kind of father that makes a difference. And I gotta tell you, I was rocked. And the Lord just showed me my story and my life, and my marriage was all about Ed. My kids were about me. My church was about me. Everything was about identity that I never got. It didn't matter that I played in the National Football League. It didn't matter that I had the world record in the bench press of 605 pounds for like 20 years. It didn't matter that I did all this stuff external. It didn't even matter that I preached with Billy Graham and I did all this stuff and we saw tens of thousands and hundreds of thousands of young people saved in crusade meetings all through the South. All that stuff is not supposed to be part of our identity. Because all I ever wanted was to be somebody's son. To where I could have this relationship that I saw in Jesus that was so extraordinary. No matter what he went through, I mean, he raised his, he built his troop up to 300, his church with 300. And he preached one message on communion, and he loses 290 in one Sunday. Boom, gone. And the only reason that the disciples didn't leave is because they left everything to follow him. They had no business to go to. He wasn't successful ministry model, but he had this way of connecting to his father and this joy that says in Hebrews 1.8 that was beyond his, his companions because he was connected to the pleasure of his father in everything that he was doing, no matter what the circumstance. And I so wanted that in my life, and and my wife was, you know, calling me to read these books on fathering. They were so thick, and I, I was struggling so much. And then I came across this scripture. You have your Bible. Turn to Ephesians chapter 1. I might have to go five or six minutes a little over. We are a vineyard, aren't we? <laughs> 
And verse 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. I mean, Paul understood the Trinity. Paul also was a father. He had spiritual sons and daughters. He said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in him. So what's a spiritual blessing? If I were to ask you this morning, just out loud, what is spiritual blessings, what would you say? What's that? Joy is a blessing, right? What else? Joy, especially when your world, your hair is on fire. That's a spiritual blessing. Peace. Contentment. The, the presence of God, like right now, Mike. Right. Boy, God's done such an amazing work in you. I, I gotta tell you something. You you've been through a war. And a war in your heart. And I and I see that I'm like that God's just it's doing it's, it's doing something so profound in you. Because he's always marked you to be this father, not only for your family, but beyond the people that you have. You're like a friend that sticks closer to brothers than everybody around you. And you, you felt so alone for so much of your life in your own story. The Lord's brought you here today because he's going to complete something in you, Mike. Because you're just, you're, you're his son. You're his son. It's not, it doesn't matter the way your dad was. It's going to matter so much about the, what the father thinks about you. I just see this gigantic, it's like when you were a kid, your antenna got broken off your car. And you've been trying to dial into the radio and you're static all the time. And the Lord is fine-tuning that in your life, Mike. He's going to do something extraordinary around you as you hear him. And you just, as a kingdom of God, just begins to invade even more your family, your life, your sweetheart, and all the stuff that he's doing. Does that make sense to you? Praise the Lord. Okay, cool. So, anyway, he blesses us. Words like that are blessing. Isn't this a blessing, too, that you as a man humble yourself and go into your wife and say, would you forgive me for what I just said? That's a miracle indeed for some of us guys, especially in the Northeast. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it's like, we need God's blessing on everything. It's a blessing in business to live with integrity and do business different than anybody else because God's blessings on you and the way you are in the community, the way you work, the way you build cabinets, the way you do life, the way you love your kids and your wife. It's all God's blessing because God has made us human beings who need to be grace-empowered by his blessing, or we can't do a single thing in this book. So he's blessed us because he wants to bless your life. Number two, he predestined us for adoption of sons. I remember reading this, verse 5, and then I realized I had skipped over verse 4, and even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Did you know that for Jesus said, let there be light, that God chose you to be his son or daughter? He chose you. You know what that means? There can't be a mistake in this room. You could have been born in a hospital in Gucci sheets in the finest family in the land, or you could have been in a failed attempt at an abortion or put away or put in foster care because someone didn't know who they were and so they let you go. And you're wondering, why did my dad do that to me? Why did my mom run away from me? But you need to know, beloved, you were chosen before the foundation of the world. He wants to know that he chose you. 
He wants you to know that he chose you so that he could, because he's predestined you to be adopted. Not just as a term, and that's a God, God's got a father's heart. No, he's a father, and he wants you to be in his story. He wants you to know that you're an adopted son or daughter in Christ Jesus according to the purpose of his will. That's been his plan all along. And I just remember, you know, I was, I was learning all this, and one of my, my biggest struggles in my life was, uh, I might have to take a few more minutes, I'm sorry. But uh, <laughs> he knows me. You know what, don't worry about the schedule. We're going forward, okay? So, but you know, the, the reason why is because I, I see how hungry you are. You guys hungry? You're hungry, aren't you? you? You want this. I remember, you know, my daughters, they've always been incredibly confusing. To an est- to you know they swim this estrogen river, you know, with my wife. I put on floaties. I jump in there now. Ah, help me, Jesus! You know, you know it's like it's a it's a crazy crazy world. And I I remembered my daughters. I've just always I significantly hurting them. I'm pushing them and fixing them and doing everything wrong, just like I was doing with Jill. And they were in the atrium one day and they were trying to get my attention by wearing princess costumes. And they were dancing in front of my office. And I'm trying to study, and I'm looking at them, and, and I'm going, wow, wow. And I'm sitting here going, God, what do women want? <laughs> I saw Mel Gibson's movie. I thought about electrocuting myself, if it could just help me. <laughs> and the Lord just speaks this nugget in me and says, when a little girl is born, she's born with this question in her heart. Daddy, do you see me? Am I beautiful? Am I someone to be loved? And if you answer that question in your daughters, Ed, your daughters won't give their gift away to a pretender. I had no idea that that was in my daughters. But the Father not only wants to bless you and, and wants to adopt you, He wants to heal your story. Galatians 4 says, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth the Son, born of the woman, born under the law, so that we might white, receive adoption as sons. And you might say, well, you know, how come it doesn't say daughters? Paul fully knows, he uses the word son on purpose, because in that culture, the oldest son got the inheritance. And so when he's writing this, he's not talk, doing this to be uh, gender exclusive, he's basically saying to all of us that if he adopts you, you're going to get the first son's inheritance whether you're a woman or you are a man. Because in Christ, there's no difference. And so he's saying that you, you're going to get everything. You're going to get the full inheritance in your life. And he goes on and, and he says, and because you are sons, verse 6, I love this, God sent the spirit of a son into our heart, where now our hearts, there's this moment when the blessing of the Father hits you, where your heart now goes, ah, the Father, you, you don't just hope that he's a father. He becomes your father in a way you've received your adoption, and as a, as a result of that moment in your life, you're now just, you're living your life as a spiritual son and daughter to the Father in your life, and, and more and more you do that, the less the things that have happened to you in your life as a human being are deciding who you are in your identity. And i got to tell you, for me, it completely changed me 
as a dad. Because here's here's what it says is that that we are no longer a slave, but a son. Everything that the world's pumping at you in the media is trying to make you a slave. They're trying to redesign culture and humanity and sexuality. They want to enslave you. So you have to bow down to it. But when you're in Christ, and you're adopted as a son or daughter, you're no longer a slave, but you're a son or you're a daughter. And if you're a son or daughter, what does it say here? Then an heir. Now just imagine for a moment, I had showed up, and, and um, I was an, an attorney who was born again. That would be an awesome thing, right? I was an attorney, and I showed up here, and I had an estate of $500 million dollars that I had from those old companies in your town that they wanted me to distribute to you. Well, the chief owner was going to give $500 million to his son, but his son died. And so he sent me here today, according to his last will and testament, to give, make you the heir of the estate. How many would want a piece of $500 million? All of us. He said, but the only caveat in the will is that you have to be a family member. You actually have to be a son or daughter. And so you have to receive your adoption legally so that you can get the inheritance that's in the will. And so I'm learning all this stuff. I'm 40 years old, and I come across this scene of Jesus being baptized. And he comes out of the water. At the moment he's coming out of the water with John the Baptist in Matthew 13, 3, verse 17, the voice of the heavenly spot Father speaks audibly. And he could have called Jesus anything in that moment, and this is what he said. He said, this is my beloved son in whom I love. I remember reading that and, and, and really in touch with how much I was failing as a dad. But I was discovering that the reason I was failing as a dad is that I'd never really been fathered. And I wasn't being fathered by God. Because I didn't know that that was even an option for me. And, and so I asked this question, why beloved son? And I did some research and I, and I had to, for some of you, I know it's a high-tech area of the world, I had two 56K baud modems stacked on top of one another. Remember those days? So I could get faster bandwidth. And I found a, 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 a rabbi in New York City who had a book on ancient bar mitzvah and its history, and he charged me $5 for the book and $20 for shipping. He was a really good Jewish businessman. And so I got the book, and I began to read, and I come to the end of the ceremony when the father lifts his son on his shoulder, and he's carrying him in down this wall of honor into his manhood at 13 years old, saying in Hebrew, this is my beloved son in whom I love. And I went, oh, my Lord, it's right here in the Scripture. God could have called Jesus anything that day. King of kings he was, Lord of lords he was. Savior of the world he was, though all those roles that he had, but the principal core identity of the person of Jesus Christ was that he was first and last a beloved son. 
And somehow the model of Jesus bringing that back to us is to show us how we can live as believers and follow Christ. Not as Christians who search this book to find truth, to write messages. That, that's all well and good, but what, what, what would happen if you began to read the Bible like a son? And this was your inheritance. Or like a daughter, and this was your inheritance. And it just strikes me. And I said, God, I, I need this, this, this moment with you. How am I, how am I ever going to get this blessing to be a man? Because my dad is gone. My stepfather is broken and, and so many times drunk. How am I, how am I ever going to arrive at manhood? The NFL didn't do it. Preaching around the world didn't do it. Being with John Wimber and doing these incredible meetings, it was incredible. God did so many things. But that didn't do it, because the core of who Ed was, was I was still a boy, searching for an identity. We've even made spiritual gifts uh, the identity of the church, where your gift is who you are. No, it's what we do. God's made us to be sons and daughters first and last. And that's why I'm here today. Because God, God has sent me out and after pastoring a church for 36 years. He sent me to bring his healing to, the, to men, and, men and women who have never known what it's like to be loved by a father. And let me kind of tie this together with a story and then we're going to go into worship, right? The worship team, you've been ready for a long time. <laughs> but remember my dad was reading his Bible in, uh, in Matthew and he, he circled a word? Well, my dad, on the night before he crashed, he was reading in Matthew chapter 14, and he, he, it's a story about Jesus walking on the water. And... The Bible says that they thought first that Jesus was a ghost. Why? Because nobody walks on water. And it's a storm, right? So Jesus is walking up the wave going, hey, what's up? You know, and disappears. And out the way. Can you imagine? Hey, don't be afraid. How's it going? It's a ghost. That's what they thought. It was a ghost. And he gets close enough. Peter says, if it's really you, Lord, command me to come to you on the water. Well, I was reading this text in front of a group of high school kids when I was 40 years old. In this place in my life where I'm just yearning to be fathered. And I'm reading this to the kids. And Peter said, if it's really you, Lord, command me to come to you on the water. And Jesus said, come. And Peter stepped on the boat and started walking and almost started sinking, and, and Jesus reached out and pulled him back in. That was the last thing my father read. And when I read this over these high school kids, about 100 high school kids in a home in our church, all I can tell you is that the father I always wanted showed up in that moment. And this is what he said to me. The last word your father heard was the word come. 
at 400 miles an hour on May the 29th, 1956, my dad got invited by a word that he circled in his Bible the night before. And then the Lord said, and that's what I've made you for, Ed. To call people to come to me. And then he said, from this moment on, your name is no longer football player, pastor, preacher, evangelist. In other words, anything that you name yourself by, but from this moment on, you are my beloved son and my love. And those same words that rang out of heaven that hit Jesus in that moment were over me, and I was undone. So much so, I mean, I, I, I never recovered. My wife would tell you that I came home, and I was completely different. I started dating my wife for her sake, not for mine. I started dating my daughters. I started blessing my sons. I got all my kids back. And I'm going to tell you, if the Lord can do this for me, when we pray later, and even during worship, the, the Jordan River is going to be here. He's already here. And if you'll listen, God's going to give you a new name. And that name is going to transcend every broken part of your life and give you an identity that you can spend the rest of your life giving away to every person you meet. We're going to come back to that.